So earlier in the service, I spoke about on the eighth day, Jesus uh, appeared to the, to the disciples in Jerusalem for the purpose of revealing himself to Thomas, the doubting Thomas, the Thomas that didn't believe. And so Jesus showed up and uh, revealed to them. Now, between the eighth day and the 40th day, that would be the ascension of Jesus, uh, Jesus, again, according to the Gospel of John, appeared to seven disciples again. And so this is what happened. Now, after the appearance of Jesus in Jerusalem, uh, in that room with Thomas in there, um, the guys basically haven't seen Jesus. So they don't know what's going to happen. They, they have no instruction. They have no particular mission that they need to do. They don't know what to do. They know about the kingdom of God. They know that God is going to do great things, but they, they have no idea where to start. Have you been there before? You know, you know I'm called of God. I know God has called me, but I haven't got a clue what to do. And so, um, so they decided to go back to Galilee. So Jerusalem is in the southern part or central part. Galilee, of course, in the northern part, north of Jerusalem. So they have to travel back. So it's almost like they're going backwards, right? So later on, you see that Jesus sent them back to Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit. But they went back to Galilee, Tiberias. Chapter 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciple by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed uh, himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, in Cain of Galilee, sons of Zebedee, and two other two disciples together. And most of these disciples, of course, you know, if you know the stories, they're all from Galilee. These are Galileans. And so Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. <laughs> They said to them, we'll go with you. Now, human beings, we are creatures of habits. We always would fall back to what we are familiar with and what we know. So in this case, Peter and the disciples, they experienced an amazing kingdom of God being displayed through the ministry of Jesus. Miracles, healings, etc., People raised from the dead. Jesus raised from the dead. It was exciting. But they don't know what to do with that. And they have no instruction. So they're in this low moment, if you may. And what did they do? They decided to do what they knew what to do. And that's what we usually do. We always do only what we know what we know to do. And so they went back to Galilee. We always go back to the old places. I need you to listen to this. We'll go back to the old places because we don't know what else to do. So we just, just go back to our old default position, default habits, default uh, uh, places of familiarity, and we just go back there because we don't know what to do. And the disciples, they didn't know what to do. And so when they got back to Galilee, Peter kind of sat around with the rest of the seven disciples. There were seven with them, and and Peter said, you know, I'm just going to go fishing. Well, you know, Peter came from a fishing industry, if you may. And so he was, you know, Peter was, you know, decided, okay, I'm going to do what I know what to do. So I'm going to go fishing. So off they went fishing. The rest of them had nothing else to do anyway. So they went fishing. Okay. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught 
nothing. Verse 3, right? They caught nothing. And oftentimes, we as believers, we often try to go back to the same old, try to do the things that we used to do when God has already brought us to the next level. Because these disciples, they have seen something they've never seen, that the Savior had been raised from the dead. They can't go back. Some of you are thinking of going backwards. Going to the familiar. Doing the same old. Because you haven't got a clue what you need to do next. You feel like your faith is in a stalemate. In other words, your faith is not going anywhere. It just stays there. I mean, think about it. How often, you know, like, like if you keep listening to the, this guy, keep talking, the same, you know, keep talking every Sunday, it could be pretty stale. I understand there are new revelation, inspiration, and so forth, and many of you also listen to other preachers throughout the week and so forth. But if that's what we're doing, that's, if that's what we're doing, we, we will not, we'll find ourselves in a place where our faith is no longer exciting. I mean, you know that faith in Christ ought to be very exciting. You ought to wake up every morning and go, whoa, I can't wait to start the day. And if you're not in a position, don't worry. Don't be condemned. Don't be judged. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to help you to walk into the place where you will see and feel and experience excitement again in your faith. How many want that? Okay, 50% of people. How many of you want that? Excitement in your faith. Come on. Hallelujah. Because God wants you to have an exciting faith. A faith that sees results. A faith that brings fruits. But you know that faith usually is not in the place where you're familiar with. In the same old. Don't try to, you know, a lot of people, they say Christians, we in general are very conservative. In other words, we're not really open-minded. If I offend you, please forgive me. And because we want to do the same, oh, we want to cling on to the same, oh. I believe God is going to give you some new ideas today. It's going to bring you to the next step of your faith. And I ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you because only my, my words can only go so far. This is the season that God is doing amazing things all over the world. And I pray that he will reveal to you how it is that you can be part of it. Are you here this morning? And so anyways, they went back to the same old, they caught nothing. No results. Now, if you've gone back to the same old and you haven't seen any results, maybe it's a signal, a sign that, hmm, hmm, don't go back. You know, there used to be a song that we sing that, I would never go back by Gateway. I can't remember the lyrics, but it's the, I'm not going back. I can't go back. I cannot return to where I'm from. You got to move on. Anyways, so they went back, they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus because it was kind of far, about 100 yards away. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? The answer, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And good thing they followed the instructions. But I've done this so many times all night long, God. Well, I think they've learned the lesson because the first time when Jesus did that to them was when, they, when Jesus was calling them into the ministry. And they tried, they tried, you know, before Jesus called them, they tried different things. They tried all night long. They have no results. 
and they were tired and so forth. And Jesus then tell them to go and put the boat into the water again and go into the deep again so that, you know, and, and they would tell the Lord, you know, Peter said, God, we've done this all night, man. We're professional fishermen and we got nothing. But, you know, they could have rejected the instruction from the Lord. You know, often the instruction from God doesn't make sense. Are you here? In fact, sometimes instruction is something that you've been doing all night long, all year long, all day long, all month long, all year long, all lifetime long. Then you're thinking to yourself, no, I've done this already. It didn't work. But you realize that instruction, following instruction in a timely manner will yield miracles. Even if the instruction is something that you've been doing all your life. I got like one amen. Some of you have been trying religion. You do things, you pray and so forth. And, and you try, you try and that it's sincere and nobody questions you. But you know, when you learn to hear from the Lord, he might say to you, son, I need you to pray. Well, I've been praying before I become born again. I went to my church and I pray and do the whole rigmarole. But this time you heard from the Lord. Obey Him. And if you obey Him, you will see miracles happen in your life. You know, I used to do fasting. I fast for 21 days or 10 days, 11 days, just water. Crazy, right? I was hoping there would be thunders and open heaven to invade and I become like, you know, walking on water and, you know, some, you know, it will take me to the next level. Well, I fast out of my own will and my desire to be successful. It was never the instruction of the Lord. God never told me. People told me, hello. <laughs> you know, we, our church is one of the earliest churches that did the 21 days fast. We did it in 2005 when I came back from Korea. And, um, you know, there was a brother's day. Talk about the 21 days fast and revival happened in his church, you know. Uh, he's from uh, Louisville, Kentucky. You know, anyways, we all gather in Korea and there was this big, you know, conference of all the pastors, you know. And then I came back. I thought I heard from the Lord. I said, we're going to do 21 days fast. And, you know, people here are so gracious. They follow along, you know. Even though they cheat a little bit, I know some of them, but breath press God, they, they try, man. I cheat too sometimes, hallelujah. We're flesh, right? So, you know, we try to fast. It wasn't from the Lord. I heard for myself. I heard from people. I heard from my desire and my ambition. But I tell you this, my ears is open. You know, the other day my wife asked me, uh, we're probably not going to fast, you know, like it didn't work. We have moved on. I, I said to her, unless the Holy Spirit tells me, I will fast. But I need to know I heard from the Holy Spirit. I didn't hear from men. I didn't hear from very persuasive men. Anyways, let's move on. I'm running out of time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. All right. So Jesus, they cast it now. And, um, and so they did. And they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Every time you follow the instructions of God, even if the instruction is doing something you've done before, you just obey one more time, you will see miracles in your life. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, Hey, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. I guess the fish naked. Anyways, never mind. For he was stripped for what, you know, that's what they say here. Oh my goodness. And threw himself 
into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, for, for, but about a hundred yards off. Now, when they got on the land, they saw the charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. So Jesus could have said, why don't you come and have some fish with me, have something prepared for you? It would have been a path of least resistance, no? It's like, you know, they're so tired. They work all night. And they use all their skill sets. Nothing. Now, why did Jesus want to go through that whole rigmarole of having to fish more fishes if he already got fishes prepared for them? Let's think about this for a moment. You see, faith and love of God is not passive. When you want to have faith in God, there is always something on our part that we do out of that faith. We don't do works to generate faith, but faith without the produce or the results of us doing something is no faith. I know this church is all about rest, and I'm about rest. But rest does not equal, or is not equal to slothfulness. So Jesus could have said, I, I know I'm, I'm just, I'm, it's, it's stinging a little bit, so I'm sorry. I don't put some honey on it. You're so good. God loves you. Hallelujah. You're amazing. But you know, so, so, so Jesus knew that he had provision for them. And yet call, you tell them, oh, why don't you just put it on the other side and fish? Do you know what it does to your faith when you see miracles? I'll say it again. Do you know what it does to you when you see miracles in your life that you participate in? If they would have just gone to the shore and eat the fish, it would have been okay, great, you know. But God wanted them to experience miracles in their life that they had participated in. What does that mean? They put their hands on to work on it. Yes. Amen. 20% say amen. I get it. I love you all, man. You guys are just amazing. I love you. So anyways, they got out. They, they have the fire in place and the fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went on board, hauled the net full of large fish, 153 of them. And then though there were so many, the net was not torn. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, and I believe the Holy Spirit is calling us this morning, come and have breakfast. Come and eat. Come on, come and eat. You know, religion tells us spirituality is about torturing yourself, making yourself bad, making yourself suffer so that you can be closer to the Lord. That's a religious mindset. It is true, like I said, if God gives me instruction to fast, I will fast in obedience, but I will not do it just so that I can suffer and show Jesus that I can suffer so that he could be pleased with me. That's what religion is calling people to do is to suffer. But if you know anything about the heart of the Father from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is that he wants to bless us. Everybody say, he wants to bless us. He wants to bless us. 
You know, you, you know, go to Old Testament, you know, there were a time when, uh, when after Ezra had, had, had instructed the people of Israel about, you know, the, the law of God and so forth, and, they, and then they built the temple, and, and, and they haven't even built the temple, they just got the foundation laid. Then they had a big party going on, and the Bible says some of the older generation, they were weeping and crying. Their weeping and crying was mixed with the voice of rejoicing. The reason they were weeping and crying was because they remember the old days when the glory of God was actually in the temple and how magnificent and marvelous the temple was and they were crying in repentance and in regret because they knew that they had rejected the Lord and today all they had was these runes and just the foundation being laid and so they weep and cry. So Edra said to people, why are you crying? And he said this, eat the fat and drink the sweet. Give portion to those who are weak. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Eat the fat. Everybody say, eat the fat. Drink the sweet. I know it's unhealthy. It's not according to our diet. I've just been told that I have a very high sugar level. So I started not eating sweet. Oh, it's hard. Last night I was in this small group. And by the way, give a plug to small group again. You need to be joining a small group. It was fun. So last night I was in a small group. Everybody was, you know, having a good time, you know. And, and then all my favorite sweets were just right there. And they keep offering me the sweet. I said no to a thousand times. And they just... And then finally somebody told me there was this very special cake. And so I kind of have a little slither, you know, just, just a small thin slice. I didn't even finish it, if you want to know. But I felt terribly guilty because my doctor said my sugar level is high. But I declare and decree my body is healthy. Shandai, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm not going to tempt faith, though. Hallelujah. Anyways, the word of the Lord is this. Eat the fat and drink the sweet. And out of your overflow, give it to those who are weak. Some of you are living in overflow. And if you keep the overflow, you're going to be oversized. And you don't want that. Are you here this morning? So anyways, Jesus said, come and have breakfast. Some of you have been starving. You're starving spiritually. You're starving for the love of God. You're starving for your soul to be nurtured. You know all the theology. You know all the doctrine. But you want to be accepted. You want to be loved. This morning, the Father said, come and have breakfast. Come and feast on my love. Let me shower you with my love. Let me prepare a table before your enemy. Let me, let, let me en let you enjoy my goodness all the days of your life. And don't, have, don't hold back. You know, if Jesus tells me to go have breakfast, I'll go have breakfast. I'm not going to be shy about it. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask Jesus, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. That's a whole sermon to preach there, recognizing the face of God. But anyways, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So the first time was in Jerusalem. And with all the disciples, second time, Jesus did that with the Thomas there. And this is the third time, right? Now, I said it all, I said all this to get to my main meal. <laughs> what I want to preach is verse 15. Do I have time? Oh, plenty. Praise the Lord. 
Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, only when they have finished breakfast, God will not or expect, does not expect us to do anything unless we are first well fed. The reason we preach the Word of God here, the reason I seek the Lord for a revelation, for a fresh manna from heaven, is because it is the desire of your Father in heaven that you don't eat stale food, but fresh food, fresh breakfast so that you are well fed. You know how people are not well fed because in the morning they always eat processed food because they're in such a hurry to rush to go and they have cold muffin and, and cold sandwiches and everything is cold and is stale and those bagels have been in the fridge forever and they have to go rush to work and so forth. But a good breakfast is hot breakfast. It's fresh and hot breakfast. This morning, the volunteers, you know, we, we usually have hot breakfast, but not to the extent that we had this morning. You know, somebody was so kind, they, they, they baked waffles or they, they brought waffles and bacons and somebody decided to bring some eggs, you know, and, and we have some carb and we party, you know. It was good breakfast. I wish we had it every Sunday. Hint, hint. Shandai. Anyways. <laughs> I know it's a lot of work, but, you know, praise the Lord. But fresh breakfast. So once we are welfare, and the reason we want to feed our volunteers is because it is the heart of God that we never serve Him with an empty stomach. Some people have been spiritually dry and they still try to serve the Lord and you're hanging on to it with, with, with a little morsel of breakfast, cold breakfast that you had and then you think it's okay. I want to tell you this, it's not okay. You need to be well fed. You need to feed yourself. You need to allow God to feed you so that you're well fed, so that you're full, so that you can be a blessing out of the overflow in your life, be a blessing to other people. And that's the reason why we want to preach the good word. Why we pray, oh, Father, that we will not waste anybody's time coming here on Sunday morning to be fed, well fed, so that they can serve you, so that they can become an amazing instrument for your kingdom. Anyway, so they, they ate, they had a good time. And this is what Jesus said to the person who denied him three times. That's the grace of God at work. Watch this. Simon. Son of John, do you love me more than the yummy food I gave you? Do you love me more than the supplies that I provide for you? Do you love me more than the blessings that I give you? Do you love me more than my goodness? You know, we talk about the goodness of God in this church, the mercy of God, the grace of God. And sometimes, you know, we talk about a lot of the blessings of God, you know, prosperity, health, and all that. And God wants to give them all to us. He does. Every single one of us, not because of our own merits, not because of our own works, but it's His grace. He wants to pour that out to us. But I believe He wants to ask us this question this morning. Simon Peter I want to use people's name. If I use your name, it's just for exercise, okay? It's not like I'm trying to make a sermon out of you, okay? Don't get nervous. 
Sean Raja. John Collin. Do you love me more than the blessings that I have bestowed upon you that I will bestow upon you? Annie Lee, do you love me, Jesus says, more than all that I'm going to pour out over your life? He had blessed you immensely. He had loved you with an everlasting love. You heard that. And you felt his grace. But do you love him more than what you've been blessed with? Because if all that you love him for is just for the blessing, then you have kept yourself from going further. Peter Becker, do you love me more than ministry? Every single one of you sitting here today, the Holy Spirit is asking you that question. Do you love me more than my blessings and my provisions? Yes, I will provide. Yes, I will give you all that you need. I will forgive you. I will heal you. I will restore you. I love you. But some of us, would stop there because when we don't see God answering our prayer anymore, we throw up our hands and we give up and we walk away. We say, enough. He doesn't answer my prayer. I'm going to walk away. But I want to encourage you this morning. May the love of God in your heart would be so vast that you can answer the question that Jesus asked, do you love me more than these? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. Second time he said, the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, I know that I love you. You know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. And the third time, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? You know, a lot of times God knows our heart, but he needs us to know our own heart. A lot of us, we say, God, we love you. I love you. I love you. Oh, you know, when a good song comes out, you know, we have tears. We cry, you know, we sense the presence. This is good. God enjoys that. He enjoys that we enjoy his presence. He loves that. But he wants our love to be beyond the physical, the circumstantial. It's transcending all that is the physical. And sometimes we really don't know, so he would need to ask us a few more times. Do you love me? Do you love me? And what is our response? Can we say, I love you even without the blessings? I love you even sometimes when I have a lot of questions, more questions than answer. The Holy Spirit wants you to know. He already knows your heart, but he needs you to know to what extent do you love him. He's not here to judge you. He's not here to condemn you, make you feel smaller. He just wants you to know who you are and the extent of the love that you have for him.
Let me conclude with this. Three times, Jesus didn't just ask if you love me. Jesus always responded, our expression of his love, listen, with an assignment. I'm going to say it again. Jesus always responds to our love for him, our answer of our heart, of our love to him with an assignment. First time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, yes, feed my sheep or tender my lamb. The second time, do you love me? Same as Simon, tender my lamb. Third time, do you love me? Yes, God, I do. You know I do. Then feed my sheep. Do you know that we can serve God without love? We can serve without love. Some people serve to have money. You know, that's why we go work. And you can serve uh, for obligation. Some people, they come to church to serve because they feel compelled to. Because Pastor Paul is asking. Or somebody's asking, can you serve, can you do this? We, we serve under compulsion, under guilt and condemnation. You can serve without loving. But you cannot love without serving. Awfully quiet. Can I have an agreement? You cannot love without serving. You can't say, I love you, God, and you just do nothing. Try that with your spouse and see how far you're going to go. <laughs> oh, honey, I love you. I love you. And all the dishes are not taken care of. House is a mess, you know. And your poor wife has to work all day long, come home, and still have to cook for you. And after that, he, she has to clean all the dishes, do your laundry, mop the floor. And then you say, oh, after she had an entire day of hard work, you're lying in your bed, reading a newspaper or iPad, you know. <laughs> I want to sit down. And she walks in really tired. Honey, I just love you. <laughs> now, how do you think she's going to take it? <laughs> I just love you. You're so loving. Some younger girls might fall for that, but some of the more mature girls. <laughs> Show me your goods, man. Listen, I pray that the Lord will inspire us this morning as we enjoy his goodness in this house, his blessing. I pray that he will inspire us not to just stay there and just enjoy his love. But that out of the love that we have for God, we will serve. Do you know in Titus chapter 2 verse 10, we are told that we are to adorn the doctrine of God. Do you know what that means? We are to adorn 
the doctrine of God. In other words, decorate or express the doctrine of God in such a beautiful way that people go, oh, this is amazing. Well, how can they do that unless we adorn them? How do you adorn them? You serve. That's the whole reason why Paul wrote to Titus to instruct the church to serve. That's how we adorn the doctrine of God. Titus 2, chapter, four, uh, chapter 2, 14 say, God has purified us for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for what? Let's say it together. Zealous for? Come on, only 20% say it. Zealous for? Zealous for? You know, in this church, we speak about freedom all the time. Freedom. This house is all about freedom. We, we don't, we, you know, we don't put people under the, the, the yoke of the law, telling people to do this, that, and the other thing. Use guilt trip and, and, you, you know, and then you come to church, you know, the pastor always makes you feel like you're not good enough. You are good enough. We declare freedom in this house because God is good. But the Word of God in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 Tell us that for you are called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh. Let me explain to you what that means. What is your flesh? You know, a lot of people say, you know, when you, when you indulge in slothfulness, I'm not condemning, please, please don't. Because some of you are at the stage in your life that you are so broken, you need to be healed. Don't do anything. God needs to heal you first. So not putting pressure on you. If you're not at that place where you're overflow or full, ask that God will fill you with His love, fill you with His Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you this, is that the freedom you have, the Bible never taught us to use our freedom to be slothful or to use our freedom to discuss philosophies. Do you know that we have a lot of philosophers in the kingdom of God? They're going around from places to places when they discuss theologies and doctrines. They're like the Socrates and the Aristotle or whatever. In the old days, all the philosophers, they love to sit around. And there are people telling me, we're like the Bereans, you know. We just want to sit and talk about the Bible. No, wrong. The Bereans in Acts, they did not know Jesus. They were not Christians. They were trying to discover who this Christ is Paul was talking about. And that's why they want to prove whatever Paul said is true in the Word of God. And so they study the Word of God diligently to find out if what Paul was saying is true and we need to do that every time when a sermon is preached you and I have the responsibility to double check and double check of what is preached don't take my word for it and check the word of God yourself my goodness we're in the internet age it's easy to just search it out and prove what I say is true or not true what I quote is true or not true but if you spend your life just talking about philosophy and doctrine and theology then you are not using your freedom for the purpose that God has created you to use he said that for freedom Christ has set you free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in your lust, but serve one another with love. We are called to serve. We are all called to serve. This church, we, we just have it good. Even our worship team, they are having it good. I remember in the old days, when we first started the church, the worship team needs to come to my house two and a half to three hours before the service starts. We load up the equipment, those heavy speakers. They're downstairs in the, in the, in the chapel, those big ones. Loaded up all the monitor, the drum sets, the guitar, the keyboard. You know, Jane's uh, uh, 
late husband, you know, he had this van, you know, we really abused it, you know, we just used it to truck everything, you know. And we drove all the way from my house to Red Dozen Hotel, set it up, and the worship services tear it down. I heard some of many churches with people doing the same thing. They had to go to, like, they would have to go to the, the church office to pick up equipment at 5.30 in the morning so that they can set it up. Why did they do it? Because they love God. But, you know, this church, we want to encourage everyone. If you have experienced the grace of God and you've been restored, you've been healed, don't just sit there because you will find that your faith, it will turn stale. It becomes boring. I mean, how many times can you listen to the same guy talking without getting bored? Except me, of course, I'm great, right? Amazing. <laughs> but my point to you is this. The way you excite your faith is to get involved. Doesn't matter what you do. You say, is that scripture? It is scripture. We are not wired to sit around. Okay, I know I'm long-winded today. Please forgive me. But listen, the mission of this church is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? The Spirit of the Lord on me is not to do, have a discussion on theology about how many, how many angels dancing on the top of the needle. I don't even know what that is, but people talk about it. I repeat it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Jesus said to, 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 to preach the gospel to the poor, to the broken, to the oppressed. This, we are living in the midst of a hurting society. This city, the people in the city, they are hurting. They've been rejected. They've been lonely. They are alone. They are, I don't know, abused, whatever. All kinds of people talk down, talk down on them. They, it's a hurting city. People who are hurting, they don't care about our theology. People who are hurting, they don't care about what we have to say about this. You know, we argue and they almost go to war for the nuances in the church. Shaka. I got one person excited. <laughs> Serve one another with love. Hebrews says, let us consider 10, 24 to 25, how to stir up. That's what I'm doing. One another to love and, come on, say it with me. To love and, I want to tell you this. After the service, we need a lot of cameramen. Can you go sign up? If you're not doing anything right now, it doesn't require any skills. Hector will train you. It, it, it does require some skill, but he'll show you. The skill set is really after the post-production. That's when we have to edit and color, whatever, right? But you just stare. The only skills you need is to pay attention to my movement. Sometimes he, David, Brother David Wong, he's on camera now. Sometimes he was so engrossed in my preaching, he forgot that he was on camera. So I'll be walking here and that he will have the camera right there. <laughs> So, so he has to sacrifice. He can't sit there and just enjoy like you do when he's on duty. He has to pay attention to whatever director out there. Hey, David, David, move it, move it. So he's got to move. But you know, the video ministry has been such a blessing to the world. Many of you are in this church because you watched a video online. Yes or no? Somebody has to do it. And it's a ministry that touched the world. I mean, I got, I got an email from like, 
the strangest part of the world sent to me. One time, if you want to know, we got an email sent, not email, a letter. Somebody wrote a letter in a prison of Thailand. He was from Nigeria and he was caught and imprisoned in Thailand because he was smuggling drugs. And somehow he saw the preaching on this church. He sent me a letter. He said, do you guys have any Bible correspondence? At the time we didn't, we still don't. He thought we were a big ministry, you know. God wants you to be more than just who you are, but to be a vessel that will touch lives to the part of the world that you never imagined. You know, it's doing small work like greeters. I was telling the people who are greeting, some of you need to sign up to be a greeters, and we'll give you opportunity. Do you know that there are people that were telling me that they were coming to church so depressed, and they met John Collins, always have his smile on his face, you know? And somebody actually told me that they started coming, decided to be part of this church because somebody like John Collins decided to smile at them when they come in. Listen, the task is huge. It's big. The city has great needs. I'm not interested here to build a church. We're here to fulfill a mission to love the broken. And we need as many hands as we can. Just as little things, like even hospitality. Somebody, you know, you guys, we all go and drink nice coffee after service. Do you know how those coffee were made? Do you think it's by evolution? All comes by itself? Somebody has to go brew the coffee. Somebody has to make sure the cops are there. Somebody has to make sure that food are there. Somebody has to make sure that, you know, like after you're gone, you, you throw the cups away, they have to pick it up and clean it up. Somebody has to do it. We were blessed by those people. Every single individual who participate in every ministry, I count them as big of a partner and doing as big of a job as I do. You know me, I have an easy job. I just yap away, right? So actually not that easy, but anyways, you know what I mean. But God needs you. We need you. We need you to fulfill the mission. You can serve without love. But I want to encourage you to experience the love of Jesus. But don't stay there. If you have experienced the grace of God in this house, if you experience the goodness of God, it's time. Some of you used to serve, but because of busyness of life, the devil tried to pull you away. See, when you stop serving, you stop engaging. When you stop engaging, you're isolated. When you're isolated, the devil will come and have a heyday over your faith. Get engaged. I tell you, when you engage, I guarantee you, you give us one year of your life to serve and be engaged in small groups and be part of this church, your life will forever change. I will guarantee you that I can write it on paper because I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again. The people that are disengaged, they always find themselves have a very limited ability to move on, to experience greater things for God. You know, you don't have to serve God to go to heaven. Are you here this morning? Amen. You don't have to serve God to go to heaven. The grace of God says that you just need to be saved by His grace through faith. That's it. That's it. 
But while you're on earth, don't you want to experience the fullness of God, all that He had given you in your faith in Christ Jesus? That can only happen if you allow His love to fill you and that you allow your love, His love to be an overflow and that you use that love to serve one another. A simple thing is picking up the garbage after service. I will guarantee you, you will excite your faith. I guarantee you that. Faith demands that we give our energy, our strength. 